It's, a, it's, it's a truly a joy to, to be with you all this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles ready and that you can open them right now to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Have your swords ready, and we will dive into our, our time this morning. Sorry that we're starting late, but we will begin. Let's, let's pray together as we begin. Gracious Father, we thank you for the beauty of a new day. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new. May our hearts know the truth of such a statement. May we join together, Lord, uh, today in one mind in what you have to tell us this morning through your word here in Galatians 6. Um, May your spirit do his perfect sanctifying and comforting and challenging work in all of our lives this morning that we would be more like our Savior. And Father, I know even those here this morning, as small of a group as this is, uh, we've come from a week of some toil and perhaps turmoil. And so Lord, I pray that um, these your people would be comforted this morning by the truth of your word to the glory of your name. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 6. But first, a pop quiz. A pop quiz. And don't worry, you don't have to answer out loud, okay? What if you had a friend who did not take care of their car? They never got the oil changed, right? They never checked the brakes. They would ignore the transmission fluid and never check the tires. And the list goes on. On top of this problem, they drive the car hard in the heat of summer and they do donuts in the Walmart parking lot late on Friday nights, which is, I think, illegal. You, on the other hand, have, have learned your lesson to not do illegal things and you've learned to be responsible and, and take care of your car, and, and you're also a pretty well-off person financially. Now, this friend of yours does have a job and is a pretty good worker, but doesn't make a lot of money. And so it turns out, one unfortunate Friday night, this friend not only greatly damages his car in the midst of his Friday foolishness and is now not able to pay for all the repairs but also faces two months in jail and a $1,000 fine. Now, your friend, this friend, has a remorseful heart, okay? He, he knows that what he's done um, was stupid and he seems to be diligent on making things right after all he's done. Now remember, this is a pop quiz, right? What do you do as a friend? How much restorative help do you give your friend in a situation like that? Do you, do you, do you pay for new brakes or an oil change for that car? Do you pay just for some of that fender bender uh, that, that took place because of his, his foolishness? Well, the answer would indeed vary for all of us, wouldn't it? But for sure, you being a, a good, long-time friend that you are, you would want to help 
bear that burden which is now theirs. And so in like manner concerning our text this morning, the Apostle Paul exhorts Christians to bear one another's burdens even though ultimately it is their burden to bear, being accountable to God. And so with this in mind, we read our text in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Each one will bear his own load. Friends, this is God's word to us in this hour. And the theme, therefore, in light of our text this morning is the spirit-filled ministry of restoration is for burden-bearing believers who are on their guard. This section this morning contains vital warnings and instructions for how Christians who are free in Christ are to walk by God's spirit and live out the love of Christ by bearing the burdens of those who have been devastated by sin. And last time I checked, sin and its consequences are a burden to the believer. And speaking of heavy burdens, this was the Judaizers' specialty, <laughs> as we've even seen in the book of, of Galatians. This was their specialty. Matthew 24, verse 3, Jesus hits the nail right, right square when he says in Matthew 23, verse 4, they tie heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to even so move a finger. They lay heavy burdens on them. They they didn't want to bear the sin burdens in our text this morning of Galatians, of the Galatians. In fact, they did the opposite by teaching that salvation comes through the works of the Mosaic law and circumcision, not by faith in Christ alone. This is a heavy and impossible burden of what we call works righteousness. Works righteousness, trying to earn your way to God by doing and fulfilling all of the laws, the ceremonial laws, the social laws, the mosaic laws, so that you can be made right with God and so that you can be righteous. Listen, friends, I think you know this as well as I, that that kind of teaching produces fear, not freedom, like we've been learning in Galatians. This is legalism not love. Paul has just defined what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, as we saw last week in Galatians 5, 16 to 26. He's explained what the works of the sinful flesh are and what the fruit of the Spirit is, and now he's going to illustrate 
what a life of freedom and love looks like according to the Spirit in our text today. So, in light of the gospel of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've seen in chapter 5, you are now free to love. Galatians 5, 13. Listen to James Boyce. Quote, He says, it is easy to talk about the fruit of the Spirit while doing very little about it. So Christians need to learn that it is in concrete situations rather than emotional highs that the reality of the Holy Spirit in their lives is demonstrated. (laughs) So what situation could be more concrete and opportune to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit than bearing one another's burdens. This brings us to point number one, the restoration of a brother. Verse one, our text reads, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So this shows us, letter A, the situation of a brother. What is his situation? What is the situation according to the word of God here? What, where is he at? Yeah, he is caught in a trespass. To be caught in a trespass simply means to be suddenly overtaken, to be detected in some sin. A couple of examples. Example number one, David, <laughs> right? Second Samuel chapter 11 David commits adultery with Bathsheba and murders her husband Uriah. Would you say that he was overtaken (laughs) in a trespass? Yeah. And then you go to 2 Samuel 12, because this all ties in together with our text this morning as far as restoration goes. In 2 Samuel 12, blessed David comes on the scene, right? Now, I'm sorry, not David, Nathan. If I said David, I meant Nathan. Now, Nathan could have said, in confronting him with his sin, he could have said, David, look at you. You've committed adultery. You're responsible for Uriah's death. You're the king of Israel. What on earth are you thinking? You adulterous, murderous, deceiving wretch. Nathan could have said that, right? He, he, he could have very well said that and been accurate. But does this sound like restoring someone in a spirit of gentleness, as our text says? Absolutely not. And you can read that text there in your own time, 2 Samuel 12, how, how Nathan gives that, that illustration, that parable, that story to, to bring to light David's sin in his life. He restored and sought to restore David, the spirit of gentleness. He was caught in a trespass. Example number two, Jesus and the adulterous woman, right? John 8, 1 to 11. Remember what happens there? She's been caught in the very act, right? And what do the Pharisees do? They accuse her. They condemn her publicly. They say she's ready to be stoned. Right? And after all that takes place there in those 11 verses of John chapter 8, here's the beginning of Jesus' restoration for her. Remember? 
Where, where are they who condemn you? He says, I don't condemn you. And then he says, here's a little sting. Okay, it's a little sting. Okay, but tell me if this is not the spirit of gentleness. Go and sin no more. In other words, literally translated, leave your life of sin. Example number three, the Corinthian brother restored and forgiven. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. The Corinthian brother restored and forgiven. Now, we don't know all the, all the full details of this brother, but it was, it was great, great, high-handed, offensive, disruptive sin in the body of Christ. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says after the, the, the restoration process has, has begun in this brother's life, in, in this Corinthian, in the church. Listen to what he says. He says, 2 Corinthians 2, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the, by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. This Corinthian brother had, he must have had, he must have had a repentant heart over his sin. And it was great sin. But then he says, forgive, comfort him. We don't want him to have excessive sorrow. Reaffirm your love for him. So, what's going on here in regards to just these, these three examples of one being caught in a trespass? One word, restoration. Restoration. And so this brings us to letter B, the spiritual help of another. This word restore in our text this morning comes from the Greek word which literally means to mend. To mend together. The, the same word is used in Matthew 4 and Mark 1 for the mending of the fishermen's nets. To bring something back to its former position. To make whole again. It's the same word even used of pointing, putting a joint back in place. Get it back in there so that it's restored and it's ready to be healed and move on. And this happens for the one caught in sin who has a repentant heart. This indeed happens. Because why? <laughs> they long to be restored such as David in Psalm 51, right? All these verbs that he uses. Listen, just real quickly. Cleanse me, Psalm 51, he says. Purify me. Wash me. And then in Psalm 51, verse 12, here's our word. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So who ultimately performs this wonderful work of restoration? God, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does so through those who are, as our text says, those who are spiritual. This isn't some weird, transcendental, ethereal, uh, you who are spiritual, and you who are high and mighty and better than all. No, this is simply speaking of those who are consistent in following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, like we heard last week. And those who are walking by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. Now, <laughs> especially getting to the context of what's happening in the Galatian church here, let's say you're caught in some trespass, okay? Dear brother, dear sister this morning, 
Do you want a self-righteous, arrogant, holier-than-thou one to come alongside you to restore you? Condemn you with the works of the law and say you're not doing enough? You got to be circumcised. You got to do the Mosaic law. You got to, you got to, you got to. Is that what, what you and I want? Is that what we need? Absolutely not. That's condemning. Or do you want someone who is walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God? One who has the, as our text says, the spirit of gentleness. One who is mild, humble, kind as they seek to comfort you. But first of all, confront you with your sins so as to help restore your relationship with God and subsequently with the church. In the pursuit of restoring a brother, we must apply the golden rule given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You know how it goes. Treat him as yourselves wish to be treated if you were in his place. Right? That is the outflow of a spirit of gentleness for the purpose of restoration. And speaking of the purpose of restoration, sometimes we get church discipline wrong. There's a lot of people that are turned away by churches because they don't understand what the purpose of church discipline is. And just, by the way, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, just this verse is really the heart-beating pursuit of church discipline as we find it in Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20. We're not going to read Matthew 18, 15 to 20, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize it to you in four quick bullet points. What's the process of restoration for church discipline? Number one, go to your brother in private. As you've seen already here, spirit of gentleness. Go to your brother in private, number one. Two, he doesn't listen. This is concerning. Take one or two more so that the facts may be confirmed, right? And number three, if he still refuses to repent, tell it to the church. Number four, if he still refuses, you treat him as an unbeliever. And how do we treat unbelievers? We pray for them and we evangelize them. That's the process of church discipline. You could have 10 weeks on it, I know, but that's the summary of Matthew 18, 15 to 20. This is the heartbeat of Galatians 6, 1. This is the spiritual help of another. This is the tried, tested, proven, God-breathed process for the restoration of a brother caught in a trespass. Yet, we do have the warning in our text this morning given to the one who is spiritual at the very end of verse 1, don't we? What does it say? Looking to yourself also, so that you too will not be tempted. Brings us to letter C, the, the self-examination of the helper. And this, this phrase, looking to yourself, comes from the Greek word that literally means scope. <laughs> like, a, like, like, like a microscope. Inspect, examine yourself. Be concerned about yourself. Watch out for yourself, right? Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart diligently, diligently, right? 
for out of it flows the springs, the issues of life, right? A heart can be deceitful, Jeremiah 17. Inspect, examine yourself. Why? Why? Why do I got to do this <laughs> in the process of restoring my brother or sister in Christ? That you too will not be enticed or trapped in the same trespass or even, in the, especially in the context of our passage, trapped in the issue of pride, right? Oh, that you're, you're, you're better and higher than the, than the rest, just like the Judaizers were thinking, right? To not be caught either in that same trespass or pride that you are higher than your brother or sister. Several quick warnings here, and some, most of these are actually to, to pastors and elders of the churches in the first century. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul tells Timothy, pay close attention, first of all, to yourself. To yourself. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells the church, be on the alert. Why? The adversary, the devil's a roaring lion, roaming around, seeking someone to devour. And he would, he, he would love to have Judaizers and, and, and legalistic people come into the church and cause burdens on the people and, and, and lay the weight of the law only upon them so that the burden only gets greater and so that they are more exalted and they are righteous, they are holy. Be on the alert of this tendency. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The believer must be on guard in the restoration process. We must. And so just real quickly, real quickly, I, I'm sorry, if, I don't think I put this in your simple outline this morning, but the necessary A's in church discipline in, in reference to just Galatians 6.1, here are the necessary A's in church discipline. It goes like this. You must have the administrator, the attitude, the aim, and the attentiveness for proper church discipline. What do I mean by that? Our text says it. You must have the right administrator. That is, you who are spiritual. You who are filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the, the Word of God. You must have the right administrator. You must have the right attitude, which is a spirit of what? Gentleness. You must have the right aim. What is the aim and why we're confronting our brother in sin? What is the right aim? To restore. And the right attentiveness. The attentiveness, that is, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The ministry of restoration for a brother doesn't stop here. It moves from the ministry, as we've seen here, of mending to the ministry of tending, which brings us to point two, the bearing of a brother's burden. Verses two to three. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We've, <laughs> we've been memorizing, haven't we, in our small groups, all the one another passages of the New Testament, and, and here is really where the rubber meets the road regarding the one another's, right? This is probably, I'd say, the hardest <laughs> for, for, for most of us. And so the four essential commands Paul gave in, in chapter 5 is walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit. So 
with the fruit of the Holy Spirit on the forefront of our minds and the following commands of the Spirit of Christ in our text today, we see that life in the Spirit is not lived in solitude. Right? I mean, imagine if you had all the fruit of the Spirit and you have no one to share it with and no one to live it out with, right? No, it's not to be lived in solitude. It is relational. Hence the command here in verse 2. Bear. Bear one another's burdens. This word bear means to take up with the hands, to carry, to put upon one's self. This word burden refers to a heavy weight, unbearably so, even as Simon of Cyrene had to carry the cross of Jesus. Now there are many burdens which we face, right? Slow down, don't don't, don't shout them all out, okay? (laughs) There are many burdens which we have and which we can bear for one another, right? Some of them fall into the world of financial burdens, right? Physical burdens, emotional burdens, relational burdens. There are times indeed, right, when life threatens to overwhelm. A spouse dies, a child is injured, a job folds, a house burns down, and the list goes on. The church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11 is an example of believers bearing one another's burdens in this sense. As they learned of the, the coming famine that was, that was coming in, Judah, in Judea. And so too, in light of our text, we are com- to come alongside a struggling brother or sister and help shoulder the weight of a trial or temptation or sin's consequences and struggles that threatens to pull them under. Any of us been there ever? <laughs> Any of us ever had the one who is spiritual? The one who is <laughs> filled with the Spirit of God, there, hence the Word of God, and come alongside us in a spirit of gentleness to help us? <laughs> it, it, it's hard for me right now to not burst out into multiple, multiple examples of how people in the body of Christ, especially this body, have come alongside a struggling brother like me and my sin, so has to restore. It's really hard (laughs) not to go into those details right now, especially bragging on our pastor this morning and how he's come alongside me to help me and the consequences, the strugglings of of that which has condemned me, I know, rightly and just before God, and then to have the gospel of grace preached and proclaimed and lived out among and with me, so as to restore. So, for the brother caught in a trespass, even after being restored, the effects of it can still be a burden for them, right? And the spirit-filled believer is called to shoulder the weight of that burden with them, coming alongside them with sympathy, compassion, yes, correction even in the midst perhaps, and care. And thus, what does our text say? In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. In that way. (laughs) To fulfill means to make complete, to cause to, to, to happen, to fill up. What an incredible 
humble duty and labor of love we have <laughs> to fulfill the law of Christ. Keeping in mind, only Christ can filled, fulfills and did fulfill his law with perfect love and perfect restoration, right? But again, real quickly, so we remember, here's the catechism, okay, of Galatians 6.2. If we don't have anything else burned upon our minds this morning, in this hour, this catechism has to, has to be there, okay? And the catechism is Galatians 6.2. Question, how does one fulfill the law of Christ? Answer, by bearing one another's burdens. <laughs> now, in context of, of the letter to Galatians, this is another slap in the face of the legalistic false teachers who had indeed infiltrated the church at Galatia and who imposed what? Law-keeping burdens upon them. In this, in, this, in this Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, it's as though Paul is saying here to the Galatians and to the Judaizers who are going to hear the echo of this, it's as though he's saying to them, oh, you want to observe the law? You want to be righteous? Let it be the law of Christ. In other words, if you want to impose, my goodness, just to take it full length, if you want to impose burdens on yourselves, guys, in the church of Galatia, let it be through acts of love towards your neighbor. <laughs> because they were condemning, condemning attitude and condemning laws of the Judaizers in the church at that time. You're not doing good enough. Do this, do that. And why? It was the purpose so that they could glory in themselves. Right? You see that in the previous chapter. But what does Galatians 5.14 say? The entire law is summed up in this one statement. Paul is echoing the words of Christ here. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> right? That's what, it's kind of what we end up telling our, our children sometimes. We like, We're keep adding Rule and rule and law and law and rule in the household. Well, well but mom, dad, you, did, you didn't say we couldn't, uh, you know, do this or that. Yes, yes, dear child. But with what you did to your brother or sister there, um, is that loving them? I shouldn't have to make a rule or a law for that. Walk in the law of Christ. Walk in his love. And this is what Paul is getting at. And this is what is pure and true and right. Do you want to fulfill the moral requirements of the law? Love your neighbor. How do you love him? By bearing his burdens, even post-restoration. And in the midst of the process of, of restoration and burden-bearing, Paul says in verse 3, if somebody thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Oh. See, the, the false teachers, and some in the, in the church at Galatia, having been influenced by them, they thought they were really something. M means, you know, like, like kind of like how, how you and I have, have been uh, before, like in our self-righteousness perhaps, right? We, we believe our own lie, right? That, that we are more significant or stronger than other believers. <laughs> in truth, only Christ is strong enough to meet all of our needs, and all of our strength comes from God's spirit. We must not fall into the trap of seeing ourselves 
as the source of our own ability to follow Jesus. We must all avoid self-righteousness, overconfidence, and pride when assisting a brother caught in a trespass, right? They are trophies of God's grace, not ours. They are of God's grace and what he's done, not ours. So, so rather than self-righteousness and overconfidence and pride, with humility and meekness, as we are to be coming alongside one to restore them, from a pitfall or a pattern of sin, <laughs> remembering the rock out of which we were hewn, right? We must always say with the Apostle Paul in restoring a brother caught in sin, there but by the grace of God go I. And filled with this, this spirit-filled attitude, we then live out the law of Christ by taking part and carrying each other's burdens. And being in Christ, I think as we know, does not mean we don't have burdens to carry in this redeemed life, right? We will. And one of those burdens, as we've already seen, is the weightiness of our temptation to get into sin and the heaviness of sometimes trying to get out of it. The Lord wants us to share the burden and not battle sin and temptation on our own. And in so doing, this ministry of burden bearing, verse four, reminds us not to compare ourselves to one another, so as to, even as we saw last week also, so as to boast or glory in our restoration ministry. How contradictory is that, right? If you're boasting in the flesh and outward religious acts like the Judaizers were doing, that's not burden bearing. <laughs> and that's not the love of Christ. That's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to examine our work and ministry among the body of Christ and see if it be of the Spirit, that is, to the glory of God and the good of others. Or is it of the flesh and to the glory of self and we end up comparing ourselves with others? <laughs> Paul will say in just a little bit in this, in this chapter, as we'll see next week or the week after, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Why? Because he's the perfect burden bearer. He's the perfect restorer. He gets all the glory. Now, some of you might be thinking that there's a contradiction as we approach verse 5. Which brings us to our third and final point, the bearing of your own burden. So we, we're told to help restore a brother. We're told to bear a brother's burden. Now we're told to bear our own load. So our question is, how can we bear someone else's burdens if we are each supposed to carry our own <laughs> load, right? Well, the simple, the simple answer is the verb in verse 5 refers to an individual burden that is not transferable. And the verb in, in verse 2 is one that can be shared. It's actually one that can be shared. So what do we mean here? Well, we each have certain obligations, right, for which we are responsible, right? For example, God has given each of us responsibilities for our families, right? 1 Timothy 5, 8. 
ultimately all of those responsibilities fall on me, right? Uh, responsibilities for our churches, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. And responsibilities indeed, as we've been getting at this morning, for our own personal holiness, right? 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. We cannot assume the responsibility for someone else's behavior, right? Therefore, our text says here in verse 5, each one must literally shoulder his own pack. He must shoulder his own, his own pack. Uh, we were at a conference this week, and um, one of my dear brothers, they, you know, they were, they were, their, their pack that they were carrying, you know, sometimes you get, when you come back from a conference and you have added books and you have goodies and stuff, it's getting, whew, it gets heavy, you know, and you're walking that long hall to the, to the gate and, and, and you know the adventure that goes on there. Trying to help him, trying to carry back and forth. Hey, put it on my, and I'll, I'll, I'll roll it for you for a little while. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're helping out. We're, we're, we're carrying that burden, right? But, but if something were to actually happen to that, that pack, right? Going down the escalator or whatever it may be. Who's ultimately responsible for that pack? <laughs> the one who owns that pack. Now, unfortunately, there are those who make a career out of asking for help. They misuse God's command here to bear one another's burdens, to avoid their own responsibilities, and habitually harass one another with expectations of aid. But walking in light of God's word is, is a delicate balance, isn't it, between selfless giving and responsible boundaries? Because if we err too far on one side, we become self-focused and overly dependent, independent. But erring too far on the other side, the other way, leads to assuming responsibility for other people's messes. When we aim to bear our own loads while also being available to bear the burdens of others as our Lord leads, we will strike that wise, God-fearing balance. And just on this, on this point, I want to read to you what, what Spurgeon says. You know, when in doubt, when you're like, oh, how can I say this so that the, <laughs> the people really get this? When in doubt, go to Spurgeon, says it very well. <laughs> Spurgeon puts it this way. God help you so to grow out of yourselves and your inactivity and your listlessness that every man shall say, I am big enough to bear my own burden by the goodness of God. I will get so much grace and so much help that I will do some work for the Lord and, and do it thoroughly. I will bear my own burden, not sit on top of it and fret and cry and ask someone else to bear it for me, but I will bear my own burden. He goes on, everyone has his own burden. You look at somebody else and you say, I wish I had his load to carry. I do not think that I ever met with more than one person in the world with whom I would change places in all respects. That woman who always looks so smiling, she has a skeleton at home in the cupboard. And that good brother who is always so bright and cheery, yes, he has a burden too. Whether it's recovery from sin or an ailment of the body. This is a load for everyone to bear. I want you to feel that it is so because it would take away all thought of envy whenever you meet with another who seems so much happier than yourself. 
do not begin to say, oh, but I am so much worse off than he is. You do not know what he has to endure, for each one will carry his own load. But let us not envy others or wish to be other people, but just say, what can I do to help anyone else? And what I can do to help anybody, I will do by the grace of God. End quote. So, dear friends, this morning, this brings us right to the application of the believer's burden-bearing heart. Our compassion must lead to action. Faith works the law of Christ, right? And what is the law of Christ? It is the love of Christ. So point number one, what do we do in response to this? Brother caught in a trespass, seek to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, bear his burden. Number one, first pray for yourself. First pray for yourself and for them. What do we mean pray for ourselves? Well, right in line with what his word has said, be on guard against the temptation of falling into the very sin out of which you are seeking to restore your brother. Listen, you've seen this in Christendom, haven't you? You've seen this in the church at large. Someone, assumably, presumably, seeking to restore someone, and then that very spiritual leader plummets into the very same sin. Danger. Be on guard against that temptation in seeking to restore your brother. And the also, the other flip side, especially in light of our context, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil before you seek to counsel your brother or sister afterward. Pray for yourself that you would not be... <laughs> right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. How often do you and I have that pharisaical tendency? Even in the restoration of a brother or sister. And it actually makes you feel good after you've, you've gone to, to, to restore them, and hopefully you've given them sound counsel. <laughs> but then how, how, how that can actually, in a sense, just like it did with the Judaizers and the Pharisees, it puffs them up. Because you've created this law and you've, you've declared yourself to be righteous and holier than everyone else in actually seeking to help that brother or sister? No, that does not work. So first of all, pray for yourself, for your heart in this mission. And then, of course, pray for them pray for them. This is not a one-time boop, boop, restore, and then move on. No, this is going into the world of, of discipleship, of counseling. Pray for them, those overtaken in sin, those who are suffering sin's consequences, the, and the guilt, and, and the shame that you and I know that it brings. Pray for them that they would fight the good fight, that they would put off sin and renew their mind and put on righteousness, that they would be stunned and amazed by the love of Christ, that they would know the love and the joy of the Lord in his peace, that they would be conformed to the image of their Savior. Do you pray that way? That is the ultimate goal in shepherding and in counseling. You know that? It's not just to make life better or to make life happier. Oh yes, some of those things will come. 
But the ultimate goal is Romans 8, 29. That our dear brothers and sisters, that you and I would be conformed, shaped continually to the image and likeness of our Savior. Number two, pursue them with patience. Pursue them with patience. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brethren, oh, admonish the unruly. Yeah, encourage the faint-hearted. Yeah, help the weak. And in this process, what does it say? Be patient with everyone. Pursue them with patience. Call them. (laughs) Call them. Text them. Email them. Meet with them. Check on them. Listen to them. Any of us struggle with listening? Yeah, my wife tells me all the time. Listen to them. Pray with them. And in and through all this, read God's word with them. And explain to them the grace and power of God by his word in your life. Just stop and think of the pursuit and patience of God towards you and I, right? As we seek to apply this. Going all the way back to the the garden where he said, here's the first pursuit, right? The first pursuit and patience of God, ready? Genesis 3.8. Remember how he started that? Adam, where are you? That was the first missionary effort as the creator sought out his lost creatures. Do you know a brother or sister where you need to say to them, where are you? Go on down the line then from Genesis 3.8 of the patriarchal history as God pursued Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Noah, Moses, Samuel, David, and the like, and obstinate, stiff-necked Israel. Think of how patient he was with Israel all the way back to the disciples and Jesus' parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son where the father saw his son off in the distance who had regretted what he did. He had the repentant heart and the father pursued and went after the prodigal son. This is Christ our savior, Christ our wonderful counselor who didn't just give us his time, (laughs) he gave us his life. That's why the one and others of scripture is life on life. God, think of it, continues to pursue. He continues to pursue. After restoration, after salvation, he continues to pursue those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, right? How? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of God who comforts us, corrects us, compels his children to obey his word. He disciplines us as part of his conforming us to the image of his son. He pursues a deeper commitment from us because it is only as we abide in him and he in us that we can bear much fruit for his kingdom. His pursuit is for our good. There is no greater honor in the universe than being objects of the Lord God Almighty's pursuit. What love, what patience is that, right? We have to always have gospel lenses on, always. So we pray for them and for ourselves. We pursue 
them and be, be patient with them because that's what Jesus has done and is doing. That's right, for you and I, even at this very moment as he intercedes for us. So be that vessel by God's sovereign grace that is used to restore a brother in the spirit of gentleness. And in doing that, be on guard. Examine your work and don't get puffed up in this process. Bear one another's burdens and so walk by the love of Christ and you'll be fulfilling the commands of love. And just be faithful. Be faithful and leave the outcome of fruit in their life to God for they are, as our text has said this morning, they are accountable ultimately to God and must bear their own burden and learn to trust and obey their Savior King just like you and I have to do, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, with this truth fresh in our hearts, um, we want to afresh and anew cast our burdens upon you, knowing as you've told us in your word that you will sustain us and you will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And Father, at the same time, the, the heart you want for us to have for each other is a burden-bearing heart that is shaped by the burden-bearing heart of you, Jesus. You said to the crowds and you say to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in that, Lord, to learn of you who are gentle and humble in heart, for as you've told us, your yoke is easy and your burden is light because you've kept the law in our place. You've made us righteous. You've made us your sons and daughters. So Lord, keep our focus heavenward because you yourself bore our sins in your body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by your wounds, we were healed, restored, redeemed, and forgiven. Help us to walk in your footsteps by your grace to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.